are new around here, just joining us. We are in a series. Um, we've been in the book of Acts. We're going to be back in Acts chapter 4 in just a little bit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And to get us there, let me just make an observation. Um, something I find amusing is people's sort of visceral reaction and fear of tiny things, like spiders. Anybody? You know who you are, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find it amusing. Like, I'll be at home sometimes, and there'll be a, just a guttural, like, bloody murder scream from the other side of the house. And I come running in thinking somebody's dead, and there was, like, a spider. You know? <laughs> like, okay. But then I got to admit, sometimes, guys, we're not scared. We just get startled, right? At least that's our story, and we're going to stick to it. I remember one time, I see a little thing dart out of the side of my eye. It was a mouse, <clears throat> and I heard this little, like, squeal come out of my throat. I'm not proud to admit it. I was just startled. That was all. I, I wasn't scared. <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny. Um, we, we have this cat that's, I've told the story before. It's supposed to be an outdoor cat, but then there was a mouse that was in the house, and I let the cat in, and now that the cat no longer lives outdoors. Um, I should have seen that one coming. But I didn't. Um, so anyway, now my wife and I will hear the cat sometimes just like start chasing something in the middle of the night. We're always just freaked out that it's going to like throw a mouse, jump on the bed with a mouse. It's like, ew, right? Now, sometimes we're scared of a little bigger things in life. I remember as a kid, I was a little scared of bears. We used to go camping. And anybody scared of bears? Have you noticed this weird thing when you're camping that you, you crawl in that tent and zip up that like 0.6 millimeter tent fly and all of a sudden you feel safe? We're not real logical humans all the time, are we? This one time I'm camping, we're up in the boundary waters of northern Minnesota, which if you've never been there, it's spectacular. And we would do canoe trips where you, you canoe in, you carry your canoes across um, like portages across to different lakes. And there was this one lake that had an island. We called it Blueberry Island. It was our favorite spot to camp. And I still remember because uh, when you go camping up here, they'd have a, a nice kind of campsite, primitive campsite. You'd have a you know, a steel fire pit and stuff. And then you'd have the, a little trail that went back away from camp. And instead of an outhouse, there'd just be a throne. We called it the throne. <laughs> just be like a box, a wooden box with a seat on it. And that was the throne out there. And I remember one time I was out just uh, sitting uh, on the throne, enjoying like the beauty of nature. And I was just a kid, but I see something emotion, you know, on the left side of my eye. And the first thing my, my head went to is bear. And then I don't even remember how this happened, but I, I kid you not, I think it was like a second and a half and I levitated and I was just back at camp in like no time. Cause I was terrified of that. Probably a chipmunk. It was probably just a chipmunk if I'm being honest. So I think we can all identify with either being scared, or at least guys with being startled, right? Now, one of the things that Jesus instructs and taught most often as you read through the Gospels is, is a little instruction. And I don't think we always take it to heart very well. If you go and read through the Gospels, one of the things Jesus teaches most often is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, he, he gathers his guys up one time in, in, in the book of Luke, and he tells them this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. 
Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, uh, Jesus, do you hear what you just said? Don't be afraid of those who can kill me. That's kind of the biggest fear normally we as humans suffer with, isn't it? Every one of us has an idea that, you, you know, we know we won't live forever. And Jesus says, well, don't be afraid of those people who all they can do is kill the body. And then after that, they can't do anything more. He says, I'll tell you what, here's whose opinion you need to weigh more heavily. He says this, I I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Remember in Proverbs, we preached through Ecclesiastes a while ago, and Solomon wrote this thing in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean cowering in front of him. What it means is a proper awe and reverence and respect for who he is. And Jesus says, um, I want to tell you, who you should, whose opinion you should weigh most heavily in this life, the one with the ultimate authority. And then he goes on. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He cares for even the little things in his creation. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Harder for some of you, uh, fairly easy for others. Um, Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And all throughout the Gospels, you see this idea of Jesus over and over. He'll say something around the lines of, don't be afraid. Why? Because your Father knows you. He cares for you. Don't be afraid. Why? Because um, this, this life is only temporary and, and pretty quick in the grand scheme of eternity. And there's a reward coming. And there's a future ahead. If you trust in Jesus that's brighter than anything and more amazing than anything you could ever imagine. So don't worry, you're so scared. Don't be afraid. You know, out of all the things that Jesus says, I think this is one of the things that we tend most to ignore. That we tend most to not think actually applies to us. But here's the thing. When you look at the early church, they got this at a very deep level. You can see this in the way they pray right at the very beginning. You can see this in their boldness because they have a boldness that resulted in the message of Jesus spreading to the ends of the earth in a very short period of time. Boldness. You know, one of my very early memories uh, was living out. We lived in San Diego when I was, I think, about seven, first, first grade. And I remember going to this park we loved, Balboa Park, and one of my early memories is just striking up a friendship with another kid there. I, I don't remember his name. And then I remember sitting, like, on the curb at the side of the playground, talking about Jesus and leading him in a prayer to accept Jesus. I have no idea what went on to happen. But as I think back of my, like, seven-year-old self, oftentimes I think, what happened? Where did that bold kid with so much passion to share Jesus go? I mean, I I stand up here and talking to a mic, but honestly, I don't feel like I still have that same boldness as I did even as a kid. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you went to camp or you met Jesus, and you remember a season or a period of a couple years in your life where you just had a passion to share what Jesus did in your life. You got up thinking about him. You went to sleep praying and with a song running through your head. And you wanted to tell everybody in your life about him. There is a boldness that you experienced. And I think a couple things happen as we get older. 
Number one, I think we lose the simplicity of our faith. That childlike faith. We get busy, don't we? I mean, if, if most of us are honest, we're just so busy and distracted. And there's so many little minutiae details that we, we're trying to take care of that for many, it feels like God is often the last thing on our hearts or minds, I think. And then as we grow older, I think the other thing that happens is we just become acutely aware of what other people think of us. In fact, when it comes to the realm of faith, um, in our culture, boldness actually isn't looked upon very highly, is it? In fact, when you hear the word bold, some of you just think obnoxious. You associate it with like some guy on a bullhorn on the street corner driving people away. In fact, we have a phrase for this for family gatherings, right? When you get together with family, yeah, you, you can talk about anything except for what? Politics and what? Yeah, you know it. Boldness isn't looked upon very highly. And part of that is because everybody knows a story of some bold person who isn't very winsome. Have you heard that word winsome? Here's what that means. It means attractive or appealing in appearance. Winsome, character, appealing character. You hear bold, you think obnoxious. But bold doesn't have to mean weird or obnoxious. In fact, in the early church, you see this amazing thing. They were bold. Oh, they drove some people away like the religious leaders who did not want to hear their message. But for so many who heard the message, there was something about them that was so winsome it drew so many to Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, let's dive on in to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to see a prime example of this boldness resulting in winsomeness, okay? And so just to catch you up, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we see Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest guys. They're used in healing a guy who was lame from birth. And after this happened, it was a notable miracle. And we, we talked last week, uh, I shared a book, Miracles Today, by a, a, a Dr. Craig Keener, who's surveyed history and modern history and documented, medically documented miracles and all kinds of things. And we actually had some time last week where we prayed together. And it's so cool because um, we've heard just, since last week, since we did that, some really cool answers to prayer. Some of them are a little personal. I don't have permission to share them, but let me just say some really cool answers to prayer, okay? And so let's keep praying as a church. Let's keep anticipating what God would do as we approach his throne of grace and, and pray together. Um, I, uh, a doctor friend that, that comes last night was telling me, he pulled me aside and told me one of his, he's like, I got to tell you my one like medically verified miracle story that I personally saw. It was so cool. God is doing amazing things still today. Now, it, after uh, Peter and John um, are, are used in this way, they're rewarded by getting thrown in jail overnight. <laughs> and then the next day they're out and... Uh, and the religious leaders are just grilling them, asking them, how did you do that? How, you know, how, how, is this, how did this happen? And at that point, Peter, with incredible boldness, addresses the same guys who falsely accused Jesus and stirred the people up to chant, crucify him, crucify him. 
And here's what he says, and we're going to pick up a few verses that we read last week and then continue on. It says this, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So see, here you see another example, as you see multiple examples throughout the scripture of, of the Holy Spirit filling or empowering, coming upon someone in a special way to accomplish what they need to. And in this, in this case, it brings a special boldness and ability to speak to Peter. And here's what he says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to the man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Wow, that's bold. And then he goes on, he says this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. You think, wow, Peter, that is bold. Peter, that's that's bold. But he's just quoting what Jesus said, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the Holy Spirit gives him this great boldness as he stands in front of these very guys who who he cowered in front of just weeks before this. And then in verse 13, it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been discipled by Jesus. And now as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is something that has changed and transformed in their life and given them the boldness to do things they would otherwise be terrified to do. And it goes on, it says, but since they could not, or but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. (laughs) They're like, there's lots of public pressure here. We can't punish them. I mean, the dude's standing right there. But let's threaten them. We'll threaten them. We'll scare them, and that'll stop them. And it says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But, listen to this, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? <laughs> Good question, huh? Whose opinion should we value more? God who, Jesus, God who specifically told us to go out and share him with others and be his witnesses? You or him? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they're like, they threaten them more. And they, it says, after further threats, they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And so it's a really fun um, scene of just chaos. But I love what Peter and John do. Why? Because they remember what Jesus said, right? Don't be afraid of those who all they can do is kill the body. They understand these are the same guys that had Jesus condemned to death. They could kill them. And yet the Holy Spirit gives them this incredible boldness as they stand up. Why? Because they understand they have seen the risen Jesus. They are confident that he has defeated death, the power of death. He's proved it to them. 
And he promises the same thing for them. And so they have an incredible hope that overwhelms any circumstance in this life. And that's why every one of them, except for John, um, would go on to die a martyr's death for Jesus. Because they had a hope and a confidence and a boldness that overwhelmed the circumstances of this life. And it says this in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now think of this. I think their friends were so happy to see them. I think they probably expected the worst at this point. I mean, these were the same guys who crucified Jesus. Now they have their buddies. I think they were expecting the worst. And all of a sudden they're back and they're, and they're so filled with joy. And then we see Luke records... Luke's a, a scholar, a physician who carefully records um, an account of the early church, and he records the first um, documented corporate prayer of the early church. Check this out in verse 24. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they go back and they, they pray and remember a prophecy uh, from, from the psalm, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In other words, they say, God, you predicted this. You said this was going to happen. He goes on, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They have a recognition here. God, you weren't caught off guard. None of this happened outside of your purposes. You, you are in control in fact, this was all prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. You are in control, God. And what does that mean for their lives? You're in control of my life, too. The circumstances in my life aren't taking you by surprise. You're not shocked. You are still in control. You are on the throne. And then they present their, their personal prayer for themselves in this prayer. And here it is. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and. I just want to pause before I go on to read this. Look up if you've got your apps. Don't just pause. Because think about our prayers a lot of times. Like, what would we pray for in this situation? Well, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I think I'd probably pray for some protection about right now. Oh, Lord, help. Which is okay. It's a good prayer to pray. Very short, succinct. And one he answers, okay? So it's okay. Sometimes that's all you can get out. Oh, Lord, help, right? It's a good prayer to pray. But, oh, Lord, um, I, think, I think maybe I would be praying for, for like, I don't know. You know there's an old prayer for the hedge of protection? Never seemed that dramatic to me. You, you know, a hedge? I'm like, I've seen hedges. I, I, I prefer like an angel army of protection. Like that one song, an angel army, Yeah. That's what I'd be praying for right now. Some really strong angels. Would you just come and rough them up a little bit in the middle of the night? Put some fear of God in them. Bruise them a little bit for me, God. Protect us, Lord. 
Or maybe they would be praying for, oh God, please help Peter and John be less confrontational. Please help them tone their boldness down a little bit. And maybe they should try a little more of like friendship evangelism. Just be friends with these guys. Maybe that's what they'd be praying for. See, so many times when you think about our prayers um, and who and for they and what they're mostly about, primarily, if we're honest, they're about us. They're about our family. Maybe some sick people we know in our lives and our families or circle of friends. But for the most part, our prayers are fairly small. Aren't they? Now, I'm not saying those aren't good things to pray about. I think we should pray a lot more for our families than we probably do. And for those that are sick. And, and, and we should pray for those in our lives, obviously. That's, that's good. That's wonderful. But I think that God is inviting us to pray with a little more boldness about some things that are actually bigger than ourselves and our family and our little K kingdoms that are actually about his kingdom and about his agenda and his mission to reach this earth. And so check out what they pray for. Here we go. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats. And this is their personal prayer request for themselves. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, courage, confidence. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a prayer, isn't it? Lord, give us boldness in the face of this persecution, in the face of being pushed back against. Give us boldness to be able to speak and then confirm your word by moving in power that you're alive and active in our midst. Lord, do that. And why are they praying this? Because they've been given a mission to disciple all nations to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, to share the love of Jesus and the message, the best news in the world. And they're going to do it. Their heart is focused on that. And so they pray for the enablement, the boldness to actually do what Jesus has called them to do. You and I have been given a call and a mission to live for someone else's kingdom, the kingdom of God. Are we praying for boldness, for enablement to do that in our lives? That God would show up in our midst in a, in a powerful way that we would pray for people and he would answer prayers and because of that, they would be drawn to Jesus? That's what these guys pray for. It's a beautiful thing and it says this in verse 31. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a prayer meeting like this, but this would be a cool one to be at. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, you see this filling of the Holy Spirit again. And they spoke the word of God boldly. So you see that? So Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks boldly. They get threatened. And then when they come together to pray, they pray for boldness. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them and does what answers their prayer. That's a prayer he loves to answer. And they do what they're called. They speak the word of God. God boldly. And look at what happens. This is the amazing thing, because when we hear bold, it isn't like boldness that pushes people away. Oh, the religious leaders, sure, they didn't like it at all. They would, this would lead to some great persecution. But that this, their boldness caused 
so many people come to come to Jesus. In fact, here's what happens. Because of this time, because of the Holy Spirit in their midst, it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There was a spontaneous, amazing generosity that broke out amongst them. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. See, there was a spontaneous outbreak of generosity that was due to the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. They shared boldly. They were focused on the mission of God. And, and there was this amazing generosity. And you know what? We're told a little bit later again in chapter 5, it says, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It resulted in people being drawn to Jesus. And just a beautiful point. And this isn't the point, but so many world systems in the last century have been designed to around a utopian principle of just getting people to equalize everything. I mean, you look at the history of communism, which resulted in over 100 million people being killed in the last century. It's only the Holy Spirit working through the hearts of believers that can produce this kind of just spontaneous, amazing generosity. Every world system that has tried to force this or manipulate this, there's always somebody on top who ends up taking the bigger piece of the pie. This was an organic thing, and this was something that God did in their midst and in their hearts. And it was voluntary, and it was beautiful, and it resulted in people coming to Jesus. We see in the early church an incredible boldness, an incredible winsomeness. They were bold because they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Savior. They were bold because they had an incredible hope, the best news in history, that Jesus had defeated the power of sin and death. And they were bold because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit who enabled them to walk without fear, where just weeks before they'd cowered in fear. Now, let me make an observation. My guess is that boldness has not been at the top of your prayer request list recently. Just my guess. In fact, my guess is many days you are far more aware of what people think than what God thinks. It's just human nature. So many times, the opinion of others, I mean, just, just look at your habits sometimes around social media and ask yourself, am I far more Am I far more concerned about what God thinks or about what others think in my life? So with the remainder of our time today, I just want to share a few more passages, very short little passages, about what the Holy Spirit can and wants to do in us when it comes to boldness. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in my life when it comes to boldness and inspiring a boldness that would be winsome and drawing others to him. Paul says this in 2 Timothy. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. That thing that shrinks back when we're given an opportunity um, 
that we feel maybe God prompting us to take to talk about Jesus, and there's that fear thing that rises up. That's not God. The Holy Spirit gives us a boldness, a spirit of power, and of love to love others enough to step out and obey and move in the way he's calling. And a sound mind, good judgment. To be wise about the way we live our lives. That's, that's something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I think today, as we, as we read these, I think there's a few people here that God wants to break off fear. That there's a stronghold of fear in your life. And it, and it expresses itself in an anxiety that is so tied to what other people think. And it just eats at you. He wants to break that off so you can be effective in living your life with a bigger picture and reaching those around you in the way he's calling you to. Here's another thing that we see. Here, here's a hope. Um, we, we have this spirit of power of love of sound mind because we have an incredible hope. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. All over, uh, you can go read the whole chapter of Romans chapter 8. It's beautiful. We don't have time to read it today. I thought about doing the whole message on that one, but that would take a long time. So another day, another day, probably that'd be like a six-week series just in Romans 8 if we did it justice. But he says, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Now, you heard that, but here's the problem. I don't think you believe it. I mean, I know if you grew up in church, you probably believe it. Like in your head, you're like, yeah, I believe that. But I don't think it's sunk into to your heart. I don't think it's sunk into my heart in the way that, that God wants it to. That's actually true, that his Holy Spirit, this, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. And it's because of that and the hope. What's the hope? Raise Jesus from the dead. This life isn't the end, is it? That there's a future beyond this. In fact, he goes on at the very end of the verse. He's praying for us, followers of Jesus. And here's Paul's prayer as he prays for the Romans and as he prays for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back, read that one more time. May the God of hope, the God of hope, you have a hope. We sing that song, a living hope. Why? Because we have a living hope. And because of that, he can fill you with all joy in life and all peace as you trust in him so that you might Overflow. What does overflow connotate? Overflowing to others. That it would pour out of you to others. You might overflow with hope. By what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That is something that the Holy Spirit does in you. And see, so when Paul comes around in Ephesians and tells us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, there's a hope and a joy. And, and when his power rises up in us... Um, it can accomplish great things. And it's rooted back to the idea of hope, that there's a future beyond anything you can imagine awaiting. If you think of heaven as, as boring, as like sitting around on clouds, no. 
the, the picture painted for us in the Bible is of like, the earth is just a shadow of reality. The best relationships in your life are but a shadow of the depth of relationship with God and with others that we'll experience in eternity. The most beautiful sunset is just a shadow. It's just a little glimpse. That's the picture God paints for us. 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He's talking about the new covenant, the fact that we have this hope in Jesus, in salvation. We have this hope in our Savior. And because of that, what does it do? It produces boldness in us. That's what the, It produces boldness in them, right? Why? Why did it produce boldness? Because they knew what Jesus had promised. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, it says, now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. See, and part of hope brings freedom to your life. And I think one of the greatest areas that the Holy Spirit wants to bring freedom in your life is a freedom from fear. That that's actually something that he wants to work in your life. See, you don't see this in the disciples until after the Holy Spirit comes, after Jesus ascends back to, to the Father. You see them terrified, don't you? But after, after they, the Holy Spirit fills them, empowers them, comes on them, it's a different game. It's a different story. And I think he wants to do that in your heart. But you got to cooperate with him. You have to stay in step with him. In fact, Galatians, um, there's a whole passage. Um, again, beautiful passage. We could just be in this one passage. But he's talking about what the Holy Spirit does in our life in producing good fruit. In contrasting to the things that are of the flesh. And he says those things are self-evident. And then there's the fruit that the Holy Spirit would produce. And, and here's what he said. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, freedom produces the ability to serve other people and to have humility in your life. Because it's all about him, right? It's not about you. It's, life is for you. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his purposes. And your greatest example, Jesus, what did he do? He served. He says, you want to be great? Do what I do. Serve. No one is greater than their master. The student is not greater than the teacher. Do what I do. Serve. See, I don't think you automatically stay in the kind of freedom that God offers in your life just by default. It, it involves walking with his spirit. In fact, at the end of this beautiful passage where he says, hey, the works of the flesh are obvious, things like sexual immorality and hatred, and he goes on and on, jealousy, a whole bunch of things. And he says, but the fruit of the spirit, the thing that the spirit produces in you, not by you working it up on yourself and trying really hard, but it comes naturally as you walk with him, as you cooperate, as you allow him to empower your life. What are those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They come naturally. He produces those kinds of things in your life. 
And in this section concludes, he says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this is a big idea. Because the idea here is the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and saying, stay in step with me. And our job is just to discern where he's taking us and to stay empowered and in step with him. And when we start getting out, we come back in. You know what? You, you know one of the reasons I, I believe that uh, nobody stays like in this sort of free from fear of man thing um, on their own? You, do, you know Peter? Paul talks about this in Galatians. Peter, who's so bold, a while later, um, he's up, and Gentiles have come into the church, and he's hanging out with them, and he's like one of the prime guys that brings them in and shares about how the Holy Spirit's moving in their lives, too, and they receive the faith, and everybody's excited, and then these, like, cool kids come up, the click from Jerusalem. Sometime later, some time goes by, and they're up, they're up north, and some kids from Jerusalem come up. This is my paraphrase. And all of a sudden, he quits hanging out with all these Gentiles. This the, and Paul actually stands up and says, I rebuked Peter. Think about that, rebuking the dude, right? He's, he's like the guy. See, you don't stay in this. He rebuked him because all of a sudden, he's fearing man more than God. And where God has made it clear, I've invited the Gentiles in, all of a sudden, he's kind of like holding them at arm's length again. And you, what you see is this picture that... that Peter took that, because later in life, they're, good, they're friends. They write about each other. <laughs> you don't naturally, we have to stay in step with his spirit. You have to seek him in prayer. You have to ask him to fill you, to allow your life to be controlled by him to receive your power from him. This is an ongoing habit that people who have followed Jesus closely for, for millennia now have found powerful in their lives as they seek God alone in prayer and corporately when we come together, as we sing, as we lift him up, as we allow others to encourage us and speak into our lives by his spirit and by and through the word. But we invite and we say, Holy Spirit, I want to stay close to you being led by you. And that's how I'm going to not be afraid. Otherwise, I'm just going right back into it, finding my life controlled by what other people think, seeing no boldness in my life for Jesus. I've got one more scripture I want to read you. It's out of Ephesians, about what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives when we walk with him. Here's Another prayer that Paul is praying for us, and here's what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, this happens within you. It's not an external change. It's something that happens within. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Think about that. 
you would know such an overwhelming love for you. That you would have somehow in your spirit comprehend what your mind cannot. That he loved you enough that he gave his life for you. That he wanted you part of his family. That he knew everything about you, everything you'd done before and everything you're going to do. And he still loves you that much. And he says it's by the spirit that you can... That he can do that not just in your head, but he can make that real in your heart to such a level that it allows you to live in the fullness of God out of the overflow and abundance. And here's, what, and here's how he concludes it. This is, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, it's walking this out. It's his power through you that can do immeasurably more than we ask or think. Think. He can give us boldness. He can use our lives to accomplish great things for him. Not because of our power, but through his Holy Spirit. So here's my challenge for you. Chances are, if you pray just like most Christians, if God answered all your prayers you prayed recently, the only difference it would have made is in your life and your family's life, maybe a few people close to you. I don't think that's big enough or bold enough or how God is going to change our city and our world. But I think as we begin to expand our prayers and say, God, use my life in the bigger picture of your kingdom. Give me the boldness to actually follow through and do the things you're calling. And then would you be alive and active in our midst that when we pray for others, we would see you answer prayer and that would draw people to you? I think that's how he wants you to pray. And I think that's a prayer he is longing to answer. Because I think he loves the people in our community more than we do. Far more. And there's so many people. I mean, it's less than 20% that's going to be in any church on any given weekend. So many people that do not know his love. Whose lives do not have any freedom or hope in them right now. And he wants to use you in your life to reach beyond you. And so here's my challenge for you, very simple. Would you take this prayer that the early church prayed and would you put it somewhere this week and pray it every day? Let's let's pray it once together, just out loud. Let's pray this whole thing. And but change servants to singular, change it to servant. Put it as me. Okay? If you lose it, just go read it in Acts chapter 4. You'll find it. (laughs) Here's the prayer. Enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, would we get this at a deep level? I pray for each one here that you would allow us to live our lives in a way that is bold and winsome. 
that as we go out and share your love with people, as we respond when you prompt our hearts to pray for others or prompt our hearts to open our mouths and talk about Jesus or, or reach into somebody's situation that normally we would ignore, that we would see you move in a powerful way in our midst that would draw people to you. That Holy Spirit, one of the primary characteristics that you produced is the boldness to accomplish the work you're calling your people to do. The boldness and the power to do that. And, and I know you're calling us to reach those in our community and beyond. Would you give us both the hearts to see beyond ourselves and our busyness and our fear and produce a boldness within us, Lord? We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.